0: This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, Acts 11, starting in verses 19 and going through the end of the chapter. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul.
1: Thanks, Matt. So I was getting my car fixed this past week, had my car on the mechanic, and uh, as I was going to pick it up, I was just talking to the mechanic a little bit, and I was talking to him about how my son Landon kind of likes to tinker with cars. And uh, the mechanic said, hey, would your son be interested in an apprenticeship? That was, a, that was a nice offer. I kind of like it because if Landy becomes a mechanic, that can save me a whole lot of money. <laughs> so I kind of really like that idea. Now, uh, Lena has got a good job already. He's he's doing well uh, there, and so I knew he wouldn't be interested in that. But it was it was it was nice to be asked, and I love the mentality, and I love that we're kind of returning to that mentality. See, my generation grew up, and we were told the right thing to do was to go to college, go to college. Now, in the thankfully, the profession that God had called me to, the calling that God's given me, college is necessary. You should have some good education if you're going to be a pastor. But that's not for everybody, and I, and I love how in our society recently we've really pushed back towards some of the trades. And the way you learn a trade is by apprenticeship. You get in there, you get alongside somebody and you learn how to do it. Hey, come with me. Let me show you how it's done. Let me come with me and let me show you how to do it. Great way to disciple people, right? Come alongside me. Let me show you what it looks like to be a disciple. And God has given us all throughout Scripture stories and examples of people who we would do well to come alongside and learn from. It's a biblical principle. Paul himself said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I want to say to you this morning that I believe Barnabas is a great example, a great mentor to come along and follow and to watch what he does. Uh, in fact, his name, Barnabas, isn't his real name. His real name was Joseph, but he was called Barnabas. Barnabas means, do you know, son of encouragement or the one who encourages. How would you like to be so encouraging to people that they start calling you, oh, here comes Mr. Encouragement. Here comes Miss Uplifter. And they call you that so much, like you become known as that. That was Barnabas. I have no question that this was the... The point of this text that we're reading was to show us a good example of a godly man, because we see this in verse number 24. Let your eyes follow what Luke wrote about Barnabas on uh, Luke eleven twenty-four, where he says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added." I think it's a great idea. I think it's God's purpose is to show us stories and to read those stories of people who are doing it and to learn from them. I think it's true of Bible stories. I think it's true of good men of the faith. Read Biographies of good men who love and women who love the Lord and follow Jesus and and learn from them. But we're going to do that today. Now, it is not just, I got to be careful. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to you, here are four key actions that Barnabas did. And if I say to you, no, just go do that. I am asking you to kind of go back into the law-driven life. Just do it, just do it, just do it. And I want to commend to you this morning that there was a source that Barnabas was relying upon that drove him to these key actions. There was something in his life that was pushing him toward these actions. It was not just his self-discipline. It was not just his willpower. There was something more there. And I think it's found in verse number 24. Let your eyes fall on verse number 24. Look what the text says about him. For he was a good man. Well, why was he a good man? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, why was he filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, because he was full also of faith. A good man filled with the Holy Spirit because he was a man that was full of faith. Now, I'm making a little bit of a jump because it says he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So how am I tying his being filled with the Holy Spirit as the as faith, as the source of that. Well, let me bring in some other scripture to help you see this. Uh, I believe that he was a man who lived driven by the gospel. And I believe that because of this, here's, here's Galatians three, two, Galatians three, two talks about receiving the Holy spirit. And how did we, how did we receive the Holy spirit? How did we do that? How, How do you get more Holy spirit in your life? By nailing the Christian walk some more, by doing more good works, by just nailing it? No, look at this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, that's a question that has an obvious answer. So I'm going to ask it again, and I want you guys to give me the obvious answer, okay? So let me ask you this only. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Faith faith was a thing that when you first came to know Jesus, that's how you came to know Jesus. It wasn't due to your works. It was due to your faith alone in Christ alone. And now, as the Holy Spirit works in your life to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. Which is Paul's point in Galatians 3.5, which says this. Does he who supplies the spirit to you? So right now, supplying the spirit and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What's the answer, church? Hearing with faith. Do you want more Holy Spirit in your life? See, the way you receive the spirit initially by just believing in the gospel is the way you walk in the spirit now by believing in the gospel. Can I say that again? The way you receive the Holy Spirit by believing in the gospel is the way you walk in the Holy Spirit now by believing in the gospel. So when I come and preach to you, be like Barnabas, what I'm really saying is be driven by faith. So there's the big idea. Would you write it down with me? I will live a life driven, a faith driven life. I will live a faith driven life. I will live a faith driven life. Because something drives you. Something drove you all this past week. And we all know what it should be, right? We all know what it should be. But is that really what it was? It's so easy, man. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells me that my heart is desperately sick and is deceitful. It deceives me. And sometimes I can live a day. And think I'm living for Jesus, but really all day be thinking about getting home and putting on my comfy pants. Are you with me on this? Am I alone? <laughs> like sometimes I'm just like, oh, man, but I'm going to get home and I'm going to put on my comfy pants. And I'm going to sit around and I'm going to watch some, star, some sports. And... Uh, something manly and, uh, I'm a, I'm a fan. but you know, I was comfort was, is driving me that day or my own name can drive me or my security can drive me. We're driven by a lot of things. And I want to say, church, let's lean into being faith driven people. That means the gospel is driving our work. So as I show you each of these elements, I also want to show you here's the faith tie. Here's the gospel tie that helps drive these things. So number one, write this down. Evaluate for truth. Four actions from Barnabas. We're going to put them into actions for us. What should we do? Well, we should do this. We should evaluate for truth. Evaluate for truth. So we'll go to verse number 19. Look at this with me. Verse number 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And hold on a second. What? What? Guys, come on. We've been in this now for four weeks. And haven't, I mean, they, like, were skeptical about this whole thing with Cornelius. And so then Peter goes back and they question them. And yeah, so they, several times they admit, yep, the gospel's coming to Gentiles. The gospel's coming to Gentiles. So do they go to reach Gentiles. Nope. They're just speaking the gospel to Jews. And then this happens. But there were some of them, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, Whom, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Why? Because they were like, "Eh, "Is this real? They say it's real, but is it really? We got to check it out, and we got to we got to evaluate evaluate this." Now, before I jump too far into the evaluation, I want you to see something in verse number 23. So, verse number 22, they sent Barnabas, right? Verse number 23, when he came. It's one thing to be sent. It's another thing to actually go. And here's the reality about Barnabas. He never goes back to Jerusalem to live again. This isn't just a, hey, took like a quick trip down to Antioch. This is a uproot your life and go and live amongst these people and minister to these people. It was a life decision. Isn't that what gospel-driven people should be like? What did Jesus give for you? He gave you his life. What should we give in return if we really understand the gospel and the weight of it and the cost of it? Shouldn't we also be people who just say, God, here's my life? Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Who do you live for? It was going to be a whole point in the message. I just didn't have time to make it a whole point. But I, I didn't want to get too far and not lean into that incredible truth. And to challenge us to be people who say, God, here's my life. God, here's my life. What parts of your life are you holding back from the Lord? Now he goes and he evaluates. He's going to test. Is this thing real or not? Is it okay for us to do that? Is, it, is that what faith driven gospel center people do? Do we look in the lives of other people and say, is it real or not? Is it real? I mean, after all, doesn't the Bible say don't judge? Yes. There's more. <laughs> Don't judge, lest you be judged. In other words, if you're not ready to be judged, don't judge, which a lot of us maybe struggle with that part of it. But the idea is that we don't evaluate. We don't look at other things to test and see if they're true or not. In fact, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke is going to write this in a few chapters. This is Acts 17, verses 10 through 12, which says this. The brothers immediately sent Paul and sent away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Okay, show me real quick what it looks like to receive the word with eagerness. Come on, can you show me? Really? If you do that when I'm preaching, I'm going to tell you to shut up. Now lean forward, get your pen out, get your Bible ready. See, that's eagerness. Now watch this. Examining the scriptures, how often? Daily to see if these things were so. Examining the scriptures, daily to see if it's true church 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 they were hearing a message they were hearing a message is that true is that true well what does the bible say i'm hearing this but what does the bible say repeat that question with me what does the bible say No wonder Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, the one who struggled with this, he just admitted in Acts 17, when he writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil, test everything. Everything should be laid against this as a parameter. So you see all the sheetrock that's up. It took a little bit to us to get in this building particularly to sheetrock stage because after the framing was done and after the electrical was put in, then you have to have an inspection. And the inspectors have to show up, and they got to check and see if all of the work is good and right. So they're looking at the electrical. They're looking at the framing, looking at all that to be sure it is all up to code. There's a code that the state, the city, federal codes even, that we have to be sure that we are in line. Same thing over at the house. When we get all that up, the inspectors have to come and check it out. There's a code. Hey, the code for your life is right here. It's the word of God. How often are you asking yourself that question? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this thing that I'm reading? What does the Bible say about this thing that I'm watching, listening to? What does God's word say about that? Pastor, if I ask myself that question all the time, man, I'm going to be in the Bible like all the time. Wouldn't that be a bummer? (laughs) And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to prove to yourself a man, um, not ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. Handle it well. So when you ask the question, is that what faith-driven people, is that what gospel-driven people do? What's the gospel tie to evaluation? Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always believed, so now, not only as in my absence, but much more in my presence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Man, we're to evaluate our own salvations on a regular basis. Is this real? Am I really saved? What's the evidence of my life that I really believe when I'm reading in God's word? Like, like What is the evidence that I really believe in the gospel? If we're living a life and that rarely comes up, man, it's it's a question we need to be asking ourselves. So a couple of questions for you. What is your standard for evaluating if something is right or wrong? I want to say to you, you have a standard. We all have a standard. What is your standard for evaluating if something is right or wrong? Very often it's our own opinion. Very often, it's what we grew up with, but I want to challenge you to make the Bible your, your evaluation tool. And can we say what was said about what was said about the Bereans? We said about us that we daily examine the scriptures to see if these things are true, and I hope so. Now I know I get it that we we say that, and, and I want to say not just to do that, but I want to come alongside you and help you do that. And so, in the coming hopefully months, next year, we'll be offering classes to help you interpret scripture better to do that more. We want to be a part of all of that. But that that's uh, that's the what. Uh, Barnabas did what we should be striving for as well now let's uh, keep looking at the text so uh, we have uh, gone through verse 22 uh, now let's take a look then at verse number guess what 23 all right very good so uh, when he came and saw the grace of God he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful with steadfast purpose so yes I evaluate for truth but also this exhort from grace exhort from grace I love the foundation of, of Barnabas' evaluation. What was the foundation of evaluation? He didn't say when he saw the devotion of the Hellenists. Text didn't say when he saw the good works of the Hellenists. Your text says what? When he saw the grace of God. God's grace was Evident. And there was evidence that they were living in the grace of God. Grace. I've been at this pastoral thing for a little bit of time. In fact, I was a pastor right before I got married. I got married in 1996. So I've been carrying the title of pastor since 96. I was a senior pastor when I was still in my 20s in 2006 for just having babies, and I just became a senior pastor. I was 29 years old. You can do the math. I'm 47. Um, Somewhere along the way, early on as a senior pastor, I came to this concept of, like, grace living. Man, up to that point, I'd kind of been taught, like, law living. There was, you know, I know I was saved by grace through faith, but then it really felt like, there's these demands of the law, this thing that i got to live up to, and I'm you know, striving for that, and striving for that, and always feeling that I'm falling short. And, and somewhere along the way, I, I read probably Paul Tripp or somebody that really opened my eyes to see, no, you know what, it is grace. It is grace. God wants you to live in grace, not under the law, but under grace. Don't do these things to earn grace that's already been given. Do these things because you have already received grace and live in grace. And the Bible says in Hebrews 13, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And I know this. And this past week, I struggled living in grace. <laughs> I had to fight to get my heart back to being convinced it was okay to live in grace. And you, you do this. We all do this we all kind of put our hope in that one day we're really going to get really good at good works finally. <laughs> and we're all about self-betterment right now, and I find myself doing this. Like, like I really want to achieve some things out of my own self-discipline and ability. And and sometimes I'm sitting around to put my hope on the future one-day version of me when I finally get it, when I finally nail it, when I'm finally exercising on a regular basis and not letting that go and doing that right and eating right. And I'm super good as a parent and super good as a husband. And I'm probably going to be 80, so it won't matter so much then. and And I'll put my hope in that. And strive for that instead of just resting in what Jesus has already done. Now, now, listen, don't judge me on this. I'm going to be a little transparent here. But I find myself nearly every day saying, you know what? One day this is going to be flat again. One day this is going to be a washboard again. You know, I'm going to get there again. Don't laugh. Jay. J. No, but, you know, that, that hope that you have, that like, that just from my mind goes to that. In fact, I got this shirt that I want to wear one day again. I'm like, I want to put this shirt on and be like, yeah, baby. <laughs> there we go. That's looking good again. Now, is it okay to strive for better health? Of course, it's, it's right to strive for better health. You should strive for better health. But am I spending more time beating myself up and striving after the one-day version of me? Or am I resting in what Jesus has already done? And I want to encourage you, live for grace, live for grace. Now, that was all free. That was all a little extra sermon stuff. But let me get back to the text here. Let's talk about his exhortation. So here's Barnabas, and he sees the grace, and he's motivated by the grace, and he loves the grace that he's seeing. So what does he do? Well, take a look at verse number 23. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. What does your text say? He was He was glad. There was encouragement. There was encouragement. I'm so glad to see the grace that's here. I'm so glad to see you living in grace. Man, keep living in grace. I love the grace that I'm seeing here. And he had words of encouragement. And where did that come from? Can I show you the gospel tied to that? Here's Philippians chapter 2 where it says this. Check this out. So if there is any... Encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of of one mind. So here's what that's saying. Have you ever been encouraged by Christ? Then have that mind to encourage others. Hey, have you ever been comforted? By the love of God. Then encourage and comfort other people. You ever had affection and sympathy. Then if you're living in that man, if you're putting on that every day. And you're living in the comfort of his love and the encouragement in Christ. Man, I'm waking up today and my mind is on Jesus and what he's done and how much he loves me. And I'm thinking more about that than I am about how short I'm falling. And I'm just living in his love and his grace. And of course I'm going to pour that on other people. And I can't wait to encourage others in the same thing, man. I'm telling you, a life lived and driven by faith is a life lived in encouragement. And he encouraged them. But not just that. Take a look at how the text continues. And exhorted them, challenged them, pressed them, moved them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So yes, it was encouragement. It was also exhortation. Why did he have to tell them that? Keep at it. Keep at it. Remain steadfast. Remain faithful. Because Barnabas knows there are days coming when it's going to be hard to do that. And they were going to be challenged to give up and to let go. And maybe you're walking through one of those times now. Sometimes living the Christian life is discouraging and hard. And it is Sometimes, doesn't it just feel easier to quit fighting? Come on, be honest with me. Doesn't it feel easier sometimes just to quit fighting? I did a great job last Sunday night fighting discouragement. Did a great job with it. Wore myself out. And Monday, I just said, I'm done fighting discouragement anymore. And I was, you know, discouraged all day. Until my pastors came around and said, dude, live in grace. And I said, yeah, all right. I want to encourage you, remind you, keep going. Remain steadfast because God loves you. Be comforted by his love, be comforted by his sympathy, his affection. He loves you. Keep going. All right. What happens next? Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and we found him. He brought him to Antioch. That's cool. For a whole year, they met together with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is so cool. So write this down. What do, what do we do? Well, we evaluate for truth. We exhort from grace. Look, we empower through discipleship. We empower through discipleship. Not the first time that our... Um, Barnabas and Paul have been together. In fact, if you just turn your Bible back to Acts chapter 9, if you would, just flip back a few pages to see this. Acts chapter 9, look at verse number 26. Acts 9, 26 says this, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join this, Paul now, attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But check this out, verse number 27. But, who church? But Barnabas. Barnabas. Took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how, the, how on the road he had seen uh, the Lord and spoke to him. And so he, he comes and he gets beside. This is what Barnabas does. He goes to people who are on the outside to help them get on the inside. He did it with Paul. He did it with the Bereans. or am sorry, the Hellenists. It's just kind of who he is. And here he is coming in now, and he remembers, oh, Saul, man, that guy who was so against the church. His testimony was amazing. Man, I, I want to I pour into him, and then together we're going to pour into others. I want to pour into him, and then together we're going to pour into others. And that's what he did. He, he discipled them. Any benefit to discipling the Apostle Paul? Yeah, you have two-thirds of the New Testament because he decided to disciple Paul, humanly speaking. Of course, the Lord would have got it done, but so incredible. Now, question now. We're talking about discipleship. Here's a question I want to lay at your feet as we consider, okay, this is what people who are faith-driven do. We disciple others. We disciple others. So here's a question. Does the manner of my life measure up to God's calling to my life? Do you all know that you're all called to discipleship? Let me, let me put it to you again. This is, we talk about it a lot. But I'll talk about it again. Here's Matthew twenty-eight. Matthew twenty-eight says this: Go therefore, and we know I've said it before, as you are going, as you are going, is so how it should be translated. As you are going, make disciples. That's what you should be doing of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Do you know how like life, um, giving and life altering it is when you really live this out? This is huge. It's not just teaching. Because right now, right now I'm teaching. I'm standing up. Uh, this is um, uh, preaching, proclamation. This is deductus. This is teaching, giving you instruction. That's one thing. But if I'm going to teach you how to observe it, that takes things to a different level. It's not just me saying, Jaden, love your wife as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5.25. I've taught you that and I'll go do it. No, no, i got to show him what that looks like to love Sarah as Christ. i got to show him what it looks like to be a husband who sold out to these things. Hey, be a Berean and study the Scriptures daily. Know your Bible. Well, we can't just say that to you. We have to come alongside you and teach you how do you interpret and read the Bible. By the way, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. You know that? But you need to have a good hermeneutic, a good interpretation method Historical, grammatical, literal, redemptive approach to Scripture. We're going to teach you what that looks like. So, do you see how you're called to make a disciple? Does the manner of my life measure up to the calling that God has for me? Am I doing it? Or another way to ask it, who are you discipling? Do you know why most people don't? There's a lot of reasons. A, we're all busy. Can I get a witness? There's a lot of things to get involved in today. I don't think business is the main reason why. I think one of the main reasons why we don't is because we don't feel worthy of it. And we feel like, who am I to make a disciple? I'm not doing very good at this myself. <laughs> Why should I try to help anybody else? What does the gospel teach you? Does the gospel teach you that you fall short? Yes. yes. And what covers the gap? Jesus. 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 True when you got saved? Yes. Come on, keep it with me. True when you got saved? Yes. True today? Yes. Yeah. So if you feel like you're falling short... Where should you go? You should go to Jesus. Jesus. So discipleship should go through the roof this week. It's going to be exciting to see. This is the gospel tie. This is the gospel tie. Take a look at this from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I love this. Let me we tie this together with some scripture here. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. Nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, he has this in the Bible, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know, maybe I've swindled before. Maybe we've been sexually immoral before. Maybe we've fallen short there. Look what does the Bible says in verse number eleven? And such were some of you. But you were washed. Praise God your sin was washed away. Can I get a witness? I mean, Jesus washed all of that sin away. Before you were saved and whatever junk you did this week, he can wash it away by faith in him. Faith-driven life. But not just wash, you are sanctified. Sanctified has three different elements to it. There is a positional sanctification that happens the day I'm saved. And before God, I am made clean. I am declared righteous. One day in heaven, I'm going to be perfectly sanctified. I'm not going to sin anymore, and I'm going to have a position of sinlessness. But in between the already and the not yet, I have this progressive sanctification where I am more and more becoming more like jesus and that happens through guess what discipleship as people lean into me and pour into me and teach me then that's how i grow and because god is growing me hey are you the same person you were five years ago are you the same person you were 10 years ago i hope that you've been growing and you've only been growing because of the gospel has saved you and the gospel is sanctifying you and the more you lean into the gospel the more you're going to grow all right a couple of questions how has god changed me through the gospel how can i be used to help others change through the gospel does the manner of my life match the calling of god and who is it that i can disciple now we do that in small groups I encourage even outside of small groups to, to begin to grow. Now I've talked about it a lot, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but we have a discipleship pathway. Dude, you want to help someone grow? Like, what do I do? What do I do? Like, like if I came and now Kyle wants to come, he wants to be part of discipleship. I'm going to disciple him. What am I going to do with Kyle? What I'm going to do is I got these booklets for you already. So you don't get, you know, just, just do the booklets. We've, we've written them for you to be good foundations of the faith. Now, take them and be sure they're true with scripture. Be a Berean. Absolutely love that. But walk them through these steps. So we've set it up. You can find that on uh, redemptionfw.org slash resources. Click on discipleship resources. The booklets are there in PDF form for you already. We'll have them out again soon. So there, there, I mean, there's things here that we can do to help disciple one another. Let's keep doing that. All right. Now, four actions that Faith-driven people take four actions that Barnabas took because he was driven by faith. He evaluate for truth, exhort from grace, empower through discipleship, and then this, encourage generosity, encourage generosity. Well, where'd you get that crazy point from, Pastor? Good question. You're just talking about generosity because that offering wasn't what you wanted. Nope. <laughs> Not true. I'm pre- preaching on generosity because the text talks about generosity. And uh, God knows. So here's verse number 27. It seems to take the focus away now. It seems to be on Barnabas and Barnabas, and now in these days, it kind of seems to change the story, but we'll see it really doesn't. So here's verse 27. And now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus, poor kid, stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. By the way, all... Prophecies. If God does that today, got to be by the spirit and check with the word of God. But let's go to verse 29. So the disciples determined everyone, how many church? Everyone. Okay. According to his ability to send relief. It's no question a financial thing to send relief to their brothers living in Judea. And they did so. Here, here's what it is. Sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas was the conduit to which the generosity came. Barnabas was the conduit through which the generosity came. He encouraged, he's Barnabas. He's a son of encouragement. And he for sure encouraged their generosity. And we could say a whole lot about his integrity, that he was trusted with that. But definitely the element of generosity and encouraging generosity is here in this text. And I love it. A couple things to notice they all gave. They all gave. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Okay? But they all didn't give the same amount because they gave each according to his own ability as they were able to give. Now, when we study something like giving, when we study any topic, if I was going to study, what does God think about music? I would want to go to the passages to talk about music. music. If I want to know what does God think about marriage, I should go to the topics to talk about so, here's a, here's a topic, a passage that talks a lot about generosity. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So I want to just unpack this for you quickly. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which says this. Uh, the point is this. Whoever, this, he's talking about financial giving. This is the context of 2 Corinthians 9. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, uh, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Do you get the principle? If I'm generous in my giving, I will be generous in what God pours back on me. Now, prosperity gospel has robbed that and made that something that it's not. You send me a check, God's going to give you tenfold of that check back. No, the the compensation from God isn't always financial. It's oftentimes spiritual. And isn't that better? Say yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, really? I don't know, Pastor. (laughs) Would you rather get more money or see God use your money to impact the kingdom of God and the bountiful harvest be souls won to Jesus? Which would you choose? I hope you would choose the souls. But God is bountifully, bountifully. You you cannot outgive God. You can't outgive him. So give and sow bountifully. It's generosity definitely in mind. But then you have verse number 7. Check this out. Each one must give as he decides in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God is a cheerful giver. So sit down, think about, okay, I'm going to give, and we're going to give bountifully, and we're going to have a certain amount. And not everyone will give the same, because you don't all have the same ability to give. And I'm okay with that. It's not the amount. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, it's not the amount. It's the heart. How much did the widow bring? The widow brought two mites, two not even pennies. And was praised for that because it was an abundance to her. And it was the heart. I just want to give what I can. And then verse number eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, clear enough, <laughs> you may abound in every good work. This is why verse number eight, that I, don't, I shouldn't get nervous about a poor offering. Because God just promised, man, as long as we're on his program, doing his work, doing his thing, he's going to provide for us. He's able to make all grace abound to us in all things at all time for every good work. I believe the work we're doing here is good. Can I get a witness? And I believe God will supply the need verse number nine, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness to us forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, you see the multiplication here, it was a seed, then it's a harvest, and now it's bread, it's gaining, it's, it's growing, a bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, uh, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing the many thanksgiving to God. So you've got a real clear thing here. Let me give you just some quick principles on giving. Number one, with an eye to the bountiful harvest of God, with an eye to the bountiful harvest of God. This is why we give. It's not for drywall and uh, um, lumber and for electricians. Is so that God would use us to bring in a spiritual harvest for his glory. That's why we do it. Let's give what we can. So we're going to give. We're going to give what we can. And we're going to do that cheerfully and with generosity, believing God will take care of us. That's the principles. So as we look back again Our church is generous. There's no question over the last two years you've proven that. There was an opportunity here that not everyone took. And my concern is that, listen, there is a place this comes from. There's a place it comes from. It comes from faith in the gospel. We've been talking about it all morning long. Faith in the gospel, gospel or faith-driven living, gospel-driven living, Because I want to share this verse with you. This is Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, which says this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the church, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished. (laughs) He is not withholding grace. He never withholds grace. And that came at a high cost. How generous was God to give his only son? And now from that, he lavishly pours grace upon us. So my concern when I see kind of how that all played out is, I know God's going to supply. He always has. He always will. But are we all living in the grace of God, willing to say, God, I just want to give back to you this for your glory? All right. Faith-driven people, people who live in grace. They're going to be people who evaluate for truth. Is this real? Is this truth? People who encourage from grace or exhort from grace. People who empower through discipleship. And people who encourage generosity. That's who we should be. So as you evaluate and you look at your life, you're going to evaluate. First point there and look at my life. Is the measure of my life living up to this? As I look back and compare my life to that of Barnabas, do I see some correlation or a lot of places where we're out of sync? And here's the joy that I've, I want to drive you to today. If you're seeing some out of sync things, then what you need to do is get more gospel in your life. Get more grace in your life. Think about Jesus more and what he's done for you because all these things flow out of his grace. And set your minds and set your hearts on that More more, and So, Father, we ask for your help in that. Help us be grace-driven, faith-filled people as we live in the joy of the gospel, Father. And then from that, let us be like Barnabas to evaluate, Father, to exhort, to empower through discipleship, to encourage generosity, be generous people, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, you are loved. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'm taking a two-week vacation. Y'all pray for us. Yeah, we're going to rest. It has been a real long haul uh, for, uh, for us in this past renovation season. I'm looking forward to some time off. Um, Keith Allen will be here next week. He's a church planter from Wabash. He's going to be preaching. Excited for that. The following week, Pastor Adam's going to come. Awesome job last week. Going to preach again yeah. Yeah. next week. So some good things coming up. But we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You are loved.